Hey guys, what up? It me. Hi guys, I'm back. It's Art. And this is another episode of My Best Vintage Life. My Best Vintage Life. Just going to do my normal deets here. Don't forget to check out my website, mybestvintagelifepodcast.com for all sorts of goodies available for sale. And also, I just wanted to say thank you to anyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast in recent days. I really appreciate you taking the time to do so. And if you haven't already and you want to, that would be awesome. Uh, don't forget to check out Instagram and Facebook at My Best Vintage Life Podcast. And I think that's pretty much it. Do you have any deets, Art? No, I just like some of the reviews that people have been leaving. It's really cool. Can you come closer to the microphone, please? Art and I are sharing one microphone right now. I need Christ. to get two. Yeah, we need two microphones. <laughs> yeah, she really wants to be in front of the mic and usually pushes me aside. Okay. I'm sitting in a little stool. Do you want to hear my obsession at the moment? Sure. Okay, my obsession at the moment is, I think it's Boom Chicka Pop Pop. They're dark chocolate drizzled popcorn. I got it at Whole Foods. It's a holiday special flavor. It's a special edition flavor. So it's like kettle corn drizzled in dark chocolate. Doesn't that sound so good? No, zebra makes it good. Zebra? Yeah. Oh, that. Popolopolis? Yeah, but that's a little unhealthy. It's it's caramel corn with chocolate on it. That's not as healthy. As opposed to popcorn that has a little bit of caramel and a lot more dark chocolate? It's fine. It's Okay. Whatever. That's my obsession at the moment, guys. So um, Art and I have had a very long day. <laughs> I think we're on each other's nerves at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible. It's impossible. We um, Well, we'll tell you more later. Right now, we'll just say we were at an undisclosed location doing a lot of things, and it was very dirty, and the air quality here is terrible, and we're tired and hungry. So, Yeah, and it was cool. It was vintage furniture. So it's something that we really don't dabble in, but sometimes an opportunity strikes and presents I itself. I you didn't want anybody to know about it. It's fine. Oh, this goes live Friday. Oh, cut it, cut it. Don't let, <laughs> don't let them know. Anyways, we'll tell you more later. We have some good pictures and I have some video. Um, and then just my last detail is my uh, Folane code. It's a great time to treat yourself to a good moisturizer, good SPF. Maybe how about a bath soak? Sounds so good right now. Self-care is important in the wintertime, so don't forget my Folane code, ref underscore basic bougie Bridget. That's ref underscore basic bougie Bridget. Wait, I'm still writing that down. Ref. Yeah, 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 yeah. R-E-F. <laughs> so guys, today's episode theme is military Q&A with Art Bazarkanian. So I'm just going to be asking Art some questions about uh, military surplus. And also I have a few um, listener questions from Instagram I had asked in the kind of like teaser post if anybody had any questions. And I think two people did. So, uh, but they had a few questions each. So I will ask those at the end. What did I say about your phone? Sorry, mom. Sorry, mom. Okay. Can I start asking you questions now? Sure. Art's too busy texting. Are you ready? I said sure, I'm ready. Okay. All right, so my first question is, can you define surplus, and is it different than 
vintage. So, okay, we talk about military surplus. Is there a vintage aspect of that and a dead stock aspect? Like, tell me what exactly is military surplus? I think some words kind of got misconstrued by people. Uh-huh. So when military actually became available to the public, it was sold as surplus. And the military would decommission clothing and they would actually uh, auction them off and people would buy them and they would have, that's where you had the pop-up stores that were called Army Navy Surplus Store. So it was a surplus from the military. Mm -hmm. So vintage, like we've discussed right now, I think anything pre-Vietnam War would be vintage. Any woodland camo would be vintage in terms of military. So woodland stopped around 88, 89, and then we started with the desert stuff. Even though desert's like 25, 30 years old, it still hasn't made its way to be fashionable. It's cool, but, you know, obviously you've seen that we're doing lots of dyes with it to make it kind of pop. But, yeah, vintage military to me is anything Vietnam and earlier, like World War II, Korean War. Okay. You know, World War One, And surplus is what the military gets rid of. But within the surplus, there can be vintage and there can be dead stock, or is it all used? No. You, oh, sometimes you get lucky because what happens is, let's say, they were expecting, for example, we have tons of vintage snow parkas from 1951 in the original cases. So those were made, and that was made for the Korean War. And, you know, luckily it didn't last too many years. It was three or four years, but they produced enough to last six winters. So there was a whole, tons extra. So that's sometimes you'll get those stuck in warehouses someplace. And if you're lucky, you can find them. Okay. So yeah, it can encompass both. Okay. Thank you. When would you say um, people started wearing military surplus as a fashion statement? As a fashion statement? Probably 1950s. Uh, when like, some of the guys came back from World War II, uh, siblings would wear their hand-me-downs. Uh, a lot of times you saw, like, you know, when kind of when the Hells Angels spawned, they started wearing the mechanics coveralls when they were riding their bikes because it was kind of utilitarian. And, you know, I would say that. Like so, 19, post-World War II. Okay. Military as fashion. And what era slash specific pieces have been the most popular? Cargo pants. Field pants. Those are called field cargo pants. So those were used by the Rangers in World War II. Uh, they were the very first cargo pants ever created. And I would say those have been the most popular because everybody's copied it. There's not a single fashion brand that's never made a cargo pant. And they can thank the military engineers for that. And what about an, what about an era? Well, military is amazing because it evolves. So what they see is, okay, in World War II, they had field jackets. Everybody knows what a field jacket is somewhat. It's like a heavier, uh, at that time, they had only buttons. And they had a detachable hood. So they're like, hey, this is too cumbersome. So the next war, Korean War, they came up with a zipper with buttons, but still a detachable hood. Then they got to Vietnam, and then like, okay, this is way too much stuff for our guys to worry about. They have a hidden hood inside the neck which is the m65 jacket and it was zipper and snap so they evolve the fashion evolves even though the original design 
they keep improving on it. And that's what I love about it. Okay. What is the most special surplus piece that you have ever found? It was actually not even a U.S. piece. It was a, a dress coat of a very famous Boer War colonel uh, from the British Army. And his name was inside. Everything was stitched in gold bullion. And it was the most beautiful jacket I've ever found. It was in a bale of band jackets. So somebody thought it was a band jacket. And when we had that load from St. Louis, I've discussed before in an mm -hmm. episode. And it was in there and it was unbelievable. So this guy, he was in Winston Churchill's unit when Churchill was in the Boer War. I was able to research I don't, him. What, it, what is the Boer War? It was a war in Africa where the British were there. They weren't hunting boars, yeah. but they just called it the Boer well, War. Well, I just meant geographically. South Africa. South Africa. Yeah. And uh, so this guy came back to the UK and he founded a very famous unit. It was the very first special forces unit. So there's what we call in military or probably in anything antique is provenance. If you have uh, a story that, you know, goes with an item, then it gives a greater value. But that's a piece I would never sell because it's, it's gorgeous. The, the detail on it is amazing. Do we have it here in Fresno? No. Where is it? At the Smithsonian, which is our L.A. location. <laughs> in a climate-controlled room. <laughs> I got you, didn't I? <laughs> how, how did you become so educated on surplus? And do you have any tips for anyone who would like to learn more about surplus? It has to fascinate you. It has to fascinate you for you to be interested in. You can't do it just for the, oh, I want to learn it so I can make money. I loved war movies. I loved Army Men as a kid. So it was one facet of the business I took a instant liking to. And there is amazing, amazing literature out there. You can read so many great authors on books, on uniforms. And then, you know, get your hands dirty. Dig in some piles and, and understand the nuances of why this jacket is and then you see the functionality of it then it makes sense because it's a beautiful timeline you can create with the pieces you know evolution so would you say that you basically taught yourself just through kind of learning by doing it's the best way to learn anything absolutely okay you have to get your hands dirty why do you think that the japanese like military surplus so much and do they prefer unused or vintage because we kick their ass for one so there's like this domination factor and they want to be cool like us and unfortunately that's what happened because of the fact that we you know didn't do something very nice to them so and we occupied their country we're still there and so they feel subjugated, and that gives them like a coolness factor. Because in Japan, not every teenager has a car. Most adults don't have cars. So for self-expression, you needed to do it in clothing. And military was a way. Like for Japan, the most popular pieces are souvenir jackets, believe it or not. Even though most souvenir jackets are made in Japan, they find their way from Japan to the United States and then back to Japan, which is amazing. Yeah, but they like both, you know. They prefer clean military. They don't like dirty military. Well, I was only going to say I feel like our clients seem to prefer the very clean pieces. 
it has more value. That's why okay. it's because, you know, it's military and, you know, there's, you know, if you think deep in how something was used, you know, every piece has a story unless it's dead stock. And even then the dead stock has a story, but it's just a little more boring, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I get it because, you know, sometimes you could feel the energy from a piece. Have you any, f- have, oh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I think it's just a leather show. It's a Paleolithic era. Have you ever found anything odd or strange, like blood or anything weird in the surplus or anything that kind of made you sad or thought, oh boy, this is, this has seen some stuff? Yeah, on a quite a regular basis. That's not even a, I don't know, it's kind of to be expected. Sometimes it's sad because you'll see that it was, you know, shrapnel because the way the, the jacket is shredded in a sense then yes blood definitely of uh, keepsake tokens sweetheart letters sometimes um yeah it gives you a deeper appreciation what these guys have done for us and you know i really like the fact that people you know sometimes people mock what other people wear because hey you're mocking this industry but i think you're actually saluting that industry and saying showing hey i wish i could be like that or i like what you do are there any ways to modernize surplus? To modernize it? I don't think you should. No, I don't think you should touch it. I think you should leave it as is because they've already done the modernization for you. What do you want? Like put a headphones on it? No, what, do you, no, what do you mean? No, I meant to uh, give it a more modern look aesthetically. I didn't mean technically. Okay, well, aesthetically... Different countries, I mean, obviously, French military is amazing because they have, they use real designers to design it, whereas we used engineers. Mm. So, you know, engineers aren't really known for their fashion, suave. And do you know what French designers helped design the surplus in France? Yeah, Il- Yves Saint Laurent was Il one Saint of Laurent. Yves Saint Laurent. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> Eves. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was another one who was in the 50s and 60s uh, when the French were occupying Indo Indochina and in the Far East. He came up with some really cool camos. Unbelievable. They're still like a salamander camo, which is, you know, bathing ape copied. Um, mud camo, which different high-end designers copy very unique and beautiful oh blood blood camo Mm. they call it that but it doesn't look like blood it's just beautiful is it red no oh it has more of an orange hue to it Mm. what would you say has been your favorite rework project using military surplus so it doesn't have to be a specific brand just a project in general that you found was, you know, a good utilization of the base garment? That's a hard question. I mean, I've been doing surplus for 20 years and probably have been repurposing it from day one. But one of the things I did love to do was there are these deck overalls from World War II, which are same material as a deck jackets, which are very rare and go anywhere from 700 to $1,200. But I was able to convert the overalls into beautiful pants and then use the top part 
to make a patchwork jacket. And I thought that was cool because nobody wants to wear these heavy overalls, but yet the material is just gorgeous. And I was able to make a pair of trousers and uh, a jacket with the remnants of all the rest. That would be for my personal utilization. But in terms of a project, we had a project one time it utilized coveralls. So we ended up turning coveralls into shop coats and then using the bottoms to make pants, which was really cool. Nothing gets wasted. I know you hate me storing everything, but sometimes it's good to hold it because then an idea will pop up and then I'll utilize it. And in terms of what you can source, especially like the really good vintage pieces, where do you see it going in the future? I imagine things are getting harder and harder to find. Would you say that's correct? Or do you think that there are still hidden pockets of, you know, these super special pieces somewhere? Well, just when I think, oh, yeah, you know, there, there can't be anything, uh, opportunity strikes. I mean, within the last three months, I've made three new contacts that have been amazing and surprised me what, what they've had. And it's the same basic story, you know, that I always say is, uh, hey, I heard about you. I heard your fair. Uh, I have my mom and dad owned a store. It's been sitting for a while. Are you interested in this, this, this? And I say, yeah. And we make the deal happen. But I I really do think there's still hidden pockets. I mean, look what we just found this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. It's This country is the land of plenty. Hence, surplus. Yes. <laughs> Excess. It should be called six. Excess. 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 Well, something that I wanted to share was that, uh, especially for new listeners, Art and I had done a buying trip up to the northern, not northern coast of California, but just north of where we are here in Fresno. Um, I had saved that to my highlights on Instagram. So if you still want to check that out, uh, the little icon, it's a little car and it says buying trip. Um, all those videos are there and you can see, um, you know, the trip itself. And a lot of people had questions for art. And I thought maybe he could just summarize um what we did there and just give you guys a little glimpse into a buying trip like that. That was a pretty mini micro trip, but we scored some really cool pieces. So do you feel comfortable talking about that a little bit? In what sense? Well, some, maybe some cool stuff that we found or what the store was. It was a beautiful store, very small, but very very functional and it was owned by an older gentleman and it seemed like he was there probably at least 30 years and in his container he had saved pretty much everything he was he was a small version of me in the sense that you never know when you can use this you never know when this might come back into fashion or you never know when someone needs this so it was really cool going through his things um that he had saved there was uh i think my favorite piece was a. Uh, uh, World War pre World War II uh, Marine Flyers flight suit that was lined with alpaca, which they made less than sixty of. So that I think was the most special piece because they they don't exist and really hard to find, and it's not for sale. It's just too cool to sell. I'm it's got an amazing story to it. <coughs> As a whole, the trip was a success in the sense that. We got some great things that we needed for our normal stock, and there was some great webbing and material that we use for all our repurposed things. 
lots of zippers, lots of fabric, lots of bags. So it was a, I thought it was a great success, and it was a really fun day, too. Yeah, we had a great lunch. That was the highlight of my day. And we took my dogs with us, and they had a dog menu at the restaurant we went to. And They um, ate better than me. No, they didn't. I'll let you know what they ate. They actually ate um, steak, eggs, and a cheese, a hamburger patty. They did not have steak. I had fish and chips and a Bloody Mary, and Art had a beer and soup. Oh, we shared soup, didn't we? Did we get a big bowl of soup and share it? I can't remember. Oh, clam chowder. Yes, it was so good. And yeah. the, the like I said, they ate better than me. The restaurant overlooked the uh, the ocean, so that was fun. It was a fun day. We don't get to do those kinds of days too often or maybe not as much as I'd like or Art would like, but we, uh, I think we cherish them when they do happen. So definitely a fun trip. Like I said, it's saved to my highlights in Instagram, so check it out. It's under buying trip. And um, yeah, just a really, really great experience in general. So I'm going to grab my phone right now and read the uh, questions that we have from listeners. Ooh. Let's see. Just give me one second here, guys. Okay. Let's see here. So, man, that's a lot. Well, it's well, you're not familiar with Instagram, so. Uh, Speck of Dirt Vintage said, "What are the coolest military pieces you and Art have come across?" And I did say to them that I already had that question on my list. Um, military is definitely not my bread and butter, so I wouldn't know as well as Art if I found something cool. Um, but I definitely do enjoy wearing, you know, military surplus pieces. I have a few in my closet. Um, I'm just not as well educated on it as art is. And I think he already answered that question about his cool piece, unless you have something else that you thought of in the meantime. Sure. Any of the World War II pants that the Rangers wore or the Marines wore are just beautiful pieces. There's some that have these back pockets that were for hand grenades and they call them monkey pants and they are so cool it's herringbone material fitted perfectly baggy in the back and it's just it's just cool i love those pants um marine corps did some beautiful camos in world war ii uh when they were on the islands so reversible duck hunter yep i think those are great pieces and they're harder and harder to find Thank you. And then I have a few questions here from listener Myra. Uh, her first question is how to identify vintage military clothing. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. The I easiest. imagine that's pretty extensive. Not really. Um, there's these numbers that you'll see in military. If, if you're lucky enough to find it with a tag, it's an NSN number. It's a code. And you can Google it. Just put it into Google and it'll tell you pretty much the era that was made. Because any military product has to have that number. Okay. Yeah, that's the easiest. Yeah. Unless you get verse where you don't even need it. Okay. You know? And she said, also, I've been told it's disrespectful to wear. Is this true? If it is or not, how so? I don't think it's disrespectful at all unless you put a patch on it that says, fuck the army or something rude then you're disrespectful. Yeah, It's what you do to it. If you keep it as is, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, don't put an upside down flag on it. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. It's not like you're showing any blatant disrespect to the military by yeah. by just simply wearing the piece. And honestly, we're on such um, a let's, you know, let's not be wasteful train right now. And I think that's great. So imagine if nobody wore military surplus, all the waste there would be. Oh, the waste. And plus, it would get sold to different countries. And next thing you know, that's, I mean, if you've ever seen videos in Africa, they're wearing our old gear we don't want to give our stuff away. Let's keep it here. You know? Why knit more? Why make more waste? Yeah. Do you think that the military would ever utilize old pieces for new use? Do you think you could see that? Or do you think we're just going to keep making new uniforms? Unfortunately, the military is such a huge bureaucracy. It's almost every every time a new general comes in and he wants to change something, they Right, right now, what's going on with the mentality military is absurd. When it comes to all these different camels they've come up with, generals get to decide which camel they're using. So right now, they're at Coyote, and they have different digital. And it's before you had the same camel for ten to twenty years. Right now, these guys are changing it up every three years. Air Force has got a different one. Marines have a different one. Army's got a different one. It's almost turned into a business, which is lame. That's a shame. Yeah. That's why I don't think the current stuff is going to have any value later on because, you know. Well, much like anything else. Yeah. Just like, you know, fast fashion clothes are, aren't going to. Yeah, they make they, it in Puerto Rico and say it's made in the United States. I'm like, it's a territory. Well, it's better than China. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you have anything else you would like to add about military surplus before we wrap up? Wash it before you wear it. Okay, guys, I'm going to give you a little tip about anything. Whether it's new clothes, old clothes, you shouldn't wear anything without washing it. Even new clothes, because you just don't know what kind of factory it was made in, who touched it. Where it came from. Where it came from. Always wash before you wear. And especially with old stuff, if you have the ability to wash it before it even comes into your house, like if you have a mudroom with, you know, a washer and dryer, or you take your stuff to a laundromat... I'm not saying like give other people bugs and gross stuff, but just be careful and inspect. A lot of military stuff um, is made from wool, and we know who loves wool. Beady. Beady. Good old carpet beetle and and, and moths, um, which I think I'm going to be doing a whole episode on pests coming up. I know you. Can, I know you can't wait. <laughs> oh man. I'm sorry. I think it's valuable for people who are selling vintage or collecting vintage to know about the potential for damage done to their precious clothing by these horrible pests. 100% right. I wish we can come up with a way to infuse peppermint and no peppermint natural oils into hangers. So you can have your just have a hanger. You put it on there. And Beatty stays away instead of using mothballs or other crap around. No mothballs, please. No mothballs. Okay, well. I didn't know moths like balls. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, people. Okay, so I wanted to just make a special announcement. If you follow me on Instagram, you already saw this. But I always have people reaching out to me asking how they can learn more about vintage. And I feel that there aren't really many higher education pursuits to learn about vintage. There is fashion history and museum curation degrees, but 
a lot of people don't have the money for something like that. So I'm going to be creating a streaming video. So a video on demand streaming website. So it's basically, yes, it's going to be like Netflix for vintage. You'll pay a minimal fee per month to have access to the videos and I'll be adding new ones monthly, but I'm going to start out with a certain amount. So you feel like you're getting your first month's money's worth. Yes. And it's going to be a minimal fee. I've been advertising it as the cost of a breakfast burrito and a latte, if that. So I bought two burritos. I had initially thought about doing a night school model, which is more like a curriculum, but I realized not everybody has time for that. And that would put a lot of pressure on me. So I want to do lots of mini videos where you're learning about vintage and just all the aspects about it. And I think it'll give me a chance to really kind of build upon what I talk about in the podcast and help you learn more. And you're not putting out a lot of money to do so. So I think that's a really, a really fair deal. What about you, Art? Oh, it's freaking brilliant. Yeah. Do I get to be on it? We'll see. The instructor? <laughs> yeah, we are doing military clothes. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, that will be coming next year, and it's going to be called My Best Vintage Life Academy. Academy? Yes, Academy. Like Police Academy. Like Police Academy. Six. Not quite. (laughs) (laughs) So guys, that's really all I have for this episode. If you have any questions for Art or for me, feel free to send them our way. Um, In the meantime, stay safe and don't be basic. Bye. Be bougie.